I'm always struck by that line that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That idea that like our human wisdom begins by understanding our smallness and with our own humility. That's essentially what we're saying when we talk about the fear of the Lord, that there is something larger than we are, that we are not in control of the world in the way that we would like to be. And I think that that uh, plays into to what we're talking about and some of the fatal flaws of the, the characters that we're going to be meeting as we discuss the book of Esther today as we continue in five. I feel like I want to give a little bit of a recap uh, just to remind everybody of the characters in the book of Esther. Uh, just to, to give a little bit of a thing, it's easy. I don't know if you, this ever happens to you guys, but sometimes you're like you're watching a show on Netflix or something like that, and then like you just don't have time to watch it for a couple of weeks, and then you're like, who is this person again? Why are they? Th-? So I just want to give us one of those as we go here. So Esther is a. Uh, all of this story takes place in the city of Susa. This does not place take place in the uh, in the. In the uh, in Israel, but there is a, a, a an Israeli or Hebrew girl living in the city of Susa. She's a a prisoner or a refugee, but has stayed there. So uh, so uh, she's living in a in a foreign capital. Her uncle is Mordecai. Mordecai is a civil servant working in the city of Susa. The king of Susa is Xerxes. Xerxes is the king of Susa. Two things you need about need to know about Xerxes. Xerxes is a drunk, and Xerxes is stupid. Both of those things. And he's not just, like, he's the worst kind of drunk in that he's an unpredictable drunk. Like, I'm, I hope that most of you don't have... Uh, the same level of experience with with alcoholic people as I know some of you do in this room, but there's like some there's like friendly sad drunks and that's okay, and then there's mean drunks and that's even okay if it's somewhat predictable. The worst is someone who's completely unpredictable and like they could go from like sad to to violent in a quarter in like a minute or two. Like that's the kind of drunk that Xerxes is. He's completely unpredictable. So Xerxes is in charge, and uh, and he uh, banishes his queen Vashti because he uh, is mad about something. She didn't do what uh, he wanted wanted her to do, and so he banished her. And then he got a new queen, and he, they had a gross beauty pageant to for who the new queen was. Never trust leaders who throw beauty pageants. And uh, and uh, and at, he chose Esther to be his queen. Okay, so this is where we are in the story now. The story has been more complicated by Haman. Haman is a, a guy who's a kind of a, a, a yes man for Xerxes, uh, and he wants everyone in the kingdom to bow down to him. But Mordecai doesn't because Mordecai's kind of a jerk, and Mordecai is proud, and Mordecai doesn't do it for whatever reason. He doesn't. So, um, what has happened now is that Haman has introduced this idea. He's introduced a genocide law. There's going to be one day where they're going to kill all the Jews. Mordecai wants Esther as queen to interfere with that. Uh, it's a very brave move for her to do because she's not allowed to go see the king. Mordecai has asked her to go see the king. This is where she's at right now in the story. So she's gotten ready. There's been this, this kind of like fasting and preparation because she's going to go see Xerxes, who's an unpredictable drunk. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. And the king was sitting in his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. The king was known that if people came to see him that he didn't specifically summon, he might just murder them because he was annoyed, right? That's a thing. So this is 
these are the stakes that are happening in this story. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What will be your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Now, if you are in any way a person who regularly reads Bible stories, you would know that people who make big gifts and big declarations are always bad. It's always a bad thing. It's a sign of uh, foolishness and, and, and stupidity. Um, in the exact same way, like I was watching a news story, like there was these 18-year-old kids that like got in trouble for in, in like the Vancouver area for driving a Lamborghini at 250 kilometers an hour in a 50-kilometer zone, and all of us go like, who gave an 18-year-old a Lamborghini? Like giving that level of extravagant, extravagant gifts now is considered foolish, then it was considered foolish as well, right? An 18-year-old kid should maybe have an 81 Toyota Corolla. I think that that is the, it's the vehicle that I had, and then I graduated to an 83 GMC pickup. I think that those are, are healthy and reasonable vehicles for an 18-year-old to drive. I don't know what the equivalent is now. It would be like a two, <laughs> Prius, yeah, 2002 Honda Civic. You know. um, so, so Haman offers this extravagant... So, sorry, Xerxes offers this extravagant gift, and then she says... If, she, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that may, we may do what Esther asks, which is essentially she, uh, she invited him for dinner and drinks, which is the safest thing that you could invite a crazy drunk person to do, is just to, like, I have food for you, and uh, this all sounds great, so the party starts. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared as they were drinking wine during the day. As they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. And this is the scene that's being set up, right? So uh, Esther has Haman there. Haman is asked for the genocide law. Esther is about to say, I'm one of the people that will be genocided. Maybe you could intervene in this. This is the tension that's being set up. But there's always the chance that, that Xerxes is going to be like, I didn't know you were one of these people that I was going to genocide. Let's get rid of you right now. I'm mad about this. This is terrible, right? Th that is a risk that she is taking. So it's understandable, given the context, that Esther backs out. And we don't know why Esther backs out, but Esther backs out. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare them. Then I will answer the king's question. So I don't know why she's doing this. Maybe... Maybe she wants to, to, to fool Xerxes into thinking that, that, that she needs some more time to think about it. Or did she just back out? We're not sure what the character motivation for uh, Esther is in this situation. But what it does do is it sets up uh, and creates more drama because all of a sudden we have the, the day slide by. And from a storytelling perspective, from a character perspective, this doesn't make much sense. From a storytelling perspective, it makes a ton of sense because this gives us time to create more drama, which it does in this way. Now, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. Of course he did. Just had a big meal and some day drinking with the king and the queen. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't be in a good mood after that? But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose 
nor showed fear in his presence. He was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Something very interesting in this moment that I think that that, that, that maybe you can't because you're all better people than me, but there's something that really connected with me when I read this because I think that Haman is a completely foolish person. But I, I certainly identified with asking myself the question, how easily is my day ruined? Haman has a really good day. He has a great meal with the, key, with the queen and the king. He's, everything's going right for Haman at this moment. But the moment he sees one thing that's not going the way that he wants to, he's filled with rage. And this is supposed to demonstrate to us a weakness in Haman's character. And unfortunately, I recognize this weakness in Haman's character as something I possess sometimes too. Sometimes I can have everything going for me, and everything's going great, and, and it's been a perfect day, and then one thing doesn't go the way that I want it to, and everything shatters into pieces. If we're genuinely confident people, if we're genuinely trusting in the Lord, we ought not to be filled with rage at something not going our way. And I think that this is a good temperature thing for us to take. Do we find ourselves in traffic where one thing, one human blocks us off in a way that we didn't suspect and, and all of a sudden we lose our minds, right? This, do we find ourselves where, where you know, we've tried to do something and, and the, the equipment that we're using breaks down and we just kind of lose our minds? If we find ourselves filled with rage when we're... When, at, at inopportune times, that ought to tell us something about ourselves. We ought to be, as, if Haman was a wise person, he would be saying, why is this making me this angry? What, what is making me so sad in this very moment? Because he says something very fascinating in the next, in the, 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 in the very next statement that I find so fascinating. So calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to a bank, which she gave, and she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. But this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Everything is going awesome for me, but there's no satisfaction in this if one thing is going wrong. That ought to concern us. And if Haman had any wisdom, he would say, maybe none of these things genuinely bring me happiness, and I need to go deeper into figuring out what is wrong with me. Why am I not satisfied with my life as it is? Why am I being filled with rage? Because the reality is, and, we, and maybe we're just hearing more news stories, but the reality of human rage and the anger that we're feeling and our inability to process it well is doing damage to us, and it's dangerous. I was reading a news story from this week where a bylaw officer in the United States went to notify a man that he needed to clean up his lawn, like something was going on with his lawn, either it hadn't been mowed enough or whatever. When she showed up to tell him this, he shot her 
and then burned his neighbor's house down, right? Now, we laugh, kind of, because it's so shocking, but we also recognize, like, obviously that man wasn't mad about the lawn, right? There's something else going on deeper. And this, there's, and any time this kind of rage bubbles up, there's something going on deeper. And I think it behooves us to ask ourselves, what is going on that we're this angry? What is going on that we can't trust anything? What is, it, what, is it, what is going on with us that everything has to be perfect, that everyone has to agree with me all the time, and if one person is, is slightly disagrees with me, then, they're, then they're, they're my enemy and they must be destroyed. There's something foolish creeping into us. There's something frightened creeping into us that, that Haman is exemplifying in this story. This gives me no satisfaction as long as I see the Jew Mordecai singing, sitting at the king's gate. Now, a good thing, if Haman was a wise person, he would have had maybe his wife Zeresh or some of his friends be like, maybe you're not having enough perspective on this thing, Haman. Maybe you should just be satisfied in your, in your wife and your wealth and your many sons and your, and your status. Man, why can't you just be satisfied in those things? Maybe you should just let Mordecai go in this at his level-headed compatriot. But instead, this is, this is what happened. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching a height of 50 cubits, that's 75 feet, seven stories, reaching a high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Right? Now, now it does get comical. This is ridiculous. But, but his wife and all his friends said to him, yeah, seven, seven and a half story impaling pole. That's a great idea, Haman. Yeah, sure, go for that. Not one of his friends were like, maybe you should just, just let this one go. None of, none, of, none of his friends asked, maybe you're overreacting a little bit. And maybe Zeresh, the seven story pole is a little bit of compensation on your part. Like, no, no one... And I think it's really important that we do this because in our social media culture, it's very easy to surround ourselves with a group of people who only agree with us all the time. And in fact, you're encouraged in this social media culture to, to push aside anyone who slightly disagrees with you as, 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 as like, oh, get, get the haters and, the, and the, 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 the negative people out of your life and only have people in your life who are positive. And there's an element of truth to that. But there's an element that starts to sound like this. That all you have are people in your life who are going to agree with every dumb thing that you say. And in fact, turn up the volume on all of your dumb ideas to the point where it's dangerous and destructive to everyone around you. None of his friends nor his wife asked, why can't you just have a nice meal, Haman? Like, why does it always have to turn into the seven-and-a-half-story impaling poles with you, right? That, those aren't good friends. The friends that you make, the friends that you keep, the people whose opinions that you listen to, the information that you take in, all of that matters. And it's good to have people who are on our side. A church ought to be people who are on, us, on our side. But if you expect that this church is going to be constantly people who agree with you all the time, then... We're not doing our job if that's the case. We're, we're not called to agree with each other all the time. We're called to sharpen each other. 
And that means when I have a really dumb idea that the other elders sharpen me and say, like, that's maybe not the wisest of ideas, Dan. Like, when I say that, like, we should have a monthly service where people are allowed to bring their dogs to church, right? As I've done, like, once every six months until you start to to agree with me. (laughs) It's the elder's job at that point to be like, that's kind of a dumb idea, Dan. Don't do that. Right? And that's just a minor league case, but, like, But we need to have people in our lives who have the freedom to disagree with us and say, that's not the way that you, like, I think that you maybe ought to think about your motivations in this. Think this through. But no one has ever sharpened Haman. No one has ever disagreed with Haman in a healthy way. No one cares about Haman enough to say, like, maybe you need to look at you. And because your your desire to murder all of the Jews says that you're dissatisfied with yourself. Like, maybe no one is talking about that with Haman, and that's dangerous, not just for him, but for this entire group of people. But there's also, I want to make sure that we notice how well-crafted this story is, because there's there's a screenwriting rule that if you show a gun in the first act of your play or movie, that by the third act, that gun has to be used in some way. The storyteller has done something masterful here where they've introduced the seven-and-a-half-story impaling pole that has to get used at some point by the end of the story, which is masterful storytelling. Someone is going to get impaled on that pole. But the way that you make sure that you're not the person who is impaled on the pole is often having friends, choosing your friends carefully. Proverbs has a lot of evidence about this, that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And I think it's a very wise thing for you to ask, when was the last time one of my friends disagreed with me in a healthy way? Now, there's bad disagreement, right? Which is just like all of your ideas are stupid, and you're stupid, and you should just crawl back under a rock, right? That's unhealthy. But there is healthy disagreement which is that, that, that says, like, is this the best way to do this right now? You know, I have a, and, and uh, I have another friend, not you, because I know that you're going back to school and we want to applaud you in that, but I have another friend who wants to go back to school, and he has already started thinking about, about what PhD classes that he wants to take, right? And I could be, it would be, for me to be a bad friend would be like, that's stupid, you should never think about that, don't ever do anything, but... As a wise friend, I'd be like, maybe you should back off on the PhD stuff because that's a few years away and let's focus on, on getting your undergrad stuff, right? Like, let's, let's focus, right? And there's, there's a balance there, right, where we can still encourage people and, and, and help people and walk with people, but at the same time are sharpening them and not just being yes men or no people, like these binary people that are, that are trying to push people into corners. Choose your friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray, the worst thing that we can do is get involved in, in, uh, in, in, with dangerous people. And if everyone that you're around agrees with you all the time, then that might be not necessarily the greatest room to be in. And we see that the, in this that, that, that we can have bad ideas and patterns that are exasperated by the people around us, and we've been called to push away from that. So let's pray together. God, we ask that you would help us to be good friends for each other. Help us to be friends that can correct each other, that can sharpen each other, that can encourage each other, that can spur each other on to love and good works, but that, but that 
aren't consumed in making sure that we agree with each other all the time. That is not unity. And help us to know the difference between unity and a lack of confrontation. There are times when in love we will have to go to our brother or sister and say, maybe you're angry at the wrong thing right now. We, there are times when in love we have to go to our brothers and sisters and say, like, maybe this is the wrong path for you to go down on. There are times when as brothers and sisters we have to confront each other about some ideas that we hold that may be contrary to what you've called us to. And we ask that you would give us the ability and the, to, to do that graciously and wisely and the courage to do that graciously and wisely. Also, help us to be the kind of people that are not so fragile that we cannot take criticism or that we cannot take sharpening, but that as, as we are pushed back against, that, that we get stronger and better and more useful for that, and that we do not shatter into a million pieces simply because uh, someone has, has, has disagreed with us. We, we believe that you are calling us to be different, and it's in this way that we can live such good lives in this world that people will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And we ask that you do this in us and among us. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.